The views, ideas, and content of Wellseekers and their guests are their own opinions, and you should always seek additional professional help around any of the issues discussed here on Wellseekers. Welcome to Wellseekers, where we help you to be your best you and live life well in mind, body, spirit, heart, form a better relationship with yourself and a better relationship with others. I'm Lucia. This is a topic that Kelly actually suggested. The technical clinical term for it is nocturnal eating. I'm in recovery from an eating disorder. I was anorexic and bulimic and a BD, which is binge eating disorder. And you're not alone. There's 18 million Americans last time I checked with anorexia and bulimia and even more with a binge eating disorder. So this is something a lot of people struggle with. Before I dive into what this actually is and some of the research behind it, which I find fascinating, we are wired to have a really confusing relationship with body image, with food, and with our relationship with food. One of those things is actually part of a binge eating disorder, which is nocturnal eaters is the term for it. It's called night eating disorder, and it's categorized within binge eating disorder. So there's actually a term for it. I love research studies. I love knowing about why this happens. And there was a study done A couple of people, Florida State University, John Hopkins Med School. So these are smart people. And they did, we just, that's all you need to know. And they did a study and I'm not going to get into the complexities of it because I think I geek out about this a lot more than the average person. But basically they found that this could be, and we'll talk to Kristen Young about this. This could be a hormonal issue. There's actually a hormonal pattern at night where your hormones are at a certain level at night and your hunger level at that time. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. So like, and that's why if you're on your period and there's like a hormonal shift at night, you'll tend to eat more because it's like screwing up that hormonal balance. So this is not all of a mind thing. This is actually a hormonal thing. And they said like, the more hungry you are towards bed, you could, you're obviously more prone to night, night eating um, and night binging. We're going to talk to Kristen Young about simple, easy ways we can stop night eating, because one of the things that this research study also talks about and that I just know to be true from a professional standpoint and from a personal standpoint is the side effects of night eating. It raises depression level, it lowers self-esteem, there's side effects from doing it. And that's the concern, not so much the night eating. And it talk, the study also talks about how in certain cultures, like I know in the Asian culture, sometimes in Italian culture, you eat late at night. And you eat large quantities late at night, but mentally it doesn't mess with you because like that's a socially acceptable thing. So it's not so much about the actual act itself of eating, but the side effects of that act is what the study talks about. And Kristen Young, she's a licensed mental health professional. She specializes in this sort of thing, binge eating disorder. Lucky us. She's going to be with us next and she is going to give us some simple, accessible, easy ways to help us stop nocturnal eating or as Kelly calls it, massive amounts of food at night. (laughs) We'll be right back on Well Seekers. You're listening to Well Seekers, a show where the journey is just as important as the destination. We are back on Well Seekers with our guest, Kristen Young, who is a licensed clinical social worker, mental health professional. You have decades <laughs> of experience in, in mental health. Am I missing anything? Not really. I've, I've worked for years working with mental health issues and addiction. Also have personal experience with eating issues. 
So I can relate on many different levels. Kristen, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. And I think one thing that we were just talking about is how many women actually are affected by eating issues. Oh, absolutely. The biggies, I think, are the fact that women are being told today that if we're not a size zero, then we don't have worth. So the smaller we are, the more worth we have in society at the same time as we're supposed to be able to go out and indulge and eat and have fun. And we're supposed to be able to do both. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's definitely not, you know, not the way to happiness in either direction. I think you just keyed in on the thing is that there is this direct correlation and image that's portrayed in our culture that if you are the smaller you are, the happier you are. The more you Mm -hmm. can eat, the happier you're going to be. And it is such a conflict of message. And both of them are not true. So neither one are true. What is the truth then, Kristen? (laughs) I want to know the truth. (laughs) My belief system in this is that we're chasing the wrong things, right? So we are constantly being told that we're going to find happiness in a gene size or in a, a certain house or a car or an iPhone or these external materialistic things that we think are going to bring us happiness, right? And this is huge when it comes to weight um, and size, especially for women. Men suffer with it too, I've found. So I don't want to exclude them, but women I think are hit even harder. So what we do is we think that we're going to find happiness when we reach a certain size, right? And then we get to that size and we're like, I'm still not happy, so I must have to be smaller and smaller and smaller, right? And it's like a cycle that keeps on going because you get there. I mean, I can remember for me in my weight loss journey, I thought, first I thought a size 14 was going to bring me happiness and that's all I'd ever need to be. And I got there and I was like, oh, nope, nope, need to do more and ended up whittling my size, myself down to a size two, which was crazy to me that I still wasn't happy because I had been pretty much taught by society that that's all I needed to do. So I can remember years ago being on the beach and looking around and always seeing the perfect woman in the bikini that I envied and all of that, thinking that's what happiness was and she must be so happy. And all of a sudden I had a revelation because there was another woman on the beach and she was down playing with her children, um, wearing a bikini. She was not by societal standards supposed to be wearing a bikini, right? She was not the perfect size for a bikini and she was having a blast. She was wearing her bikini. She was playing. She was happy. And it also dawned on me that I've been chasing the wrong thing for so many years. I was chasing the woman who was sitting to my left, laying on her towel, um, perfect bikini, barely moving. She probably wasn't happy. She certainly didn't look happy. But the person on the beach that looked happy was the woman playing with their children down by the water who was wearing the bikini and didn't seem to care what people thought of her or what she needed to be. And I realized I'd been chasing the wrong thing all those years, right? I should have been chasing self-love. I should have been fighting the urge to find happiness in a gene size and trying to love myself for where I was in that moment because that's the only place that happiness lives. It does not live in chasing a gene size or chasing an iPhone or chasing a, a, a certain materialistic good. And I think that's why we have so much ha- unhappiness in today's world is because we chase the wrong things. We constantly think we need to have more. You're ultimately chasing happiness. I always say that your mind is doing these things and these actions that were taken. It really is not because you hate yourself. It's because you're trying to make yourself happy. We're just chasing the wrong happiness. <laughs> Absolutely. And when I work, I I have a private practice. I mean, I honestly have yet to have a woman come in that doesn't have some of this. And even if they come to me for a completely different reason at some point along our journey, it comes up. 
it's in all of our subconscious. Hopefully for many of us, it's starting to, to be conscious, right? Because that's when you change it. Yeah. So when you go from having that, that subconscious, what you just touched upon, Lucia, that self-hatred that's tied into not having what we think we have to have in order to be happy, when you can move that from the subconscious into the conscious, that's when you can change it. That's when you can go, oh my God, I, I, I don't need to do this to myself anymore. I don't need to hate myself anymore. Right. I can be happy and I can be whole just the way I am today. And that's the goal. We shouldn't be chasing weight loss. And I feel like that we're so weight loss obsessed in this, in our culture, right? It's all about weight loss and that shouldn't be what we're chasing. We should be chasing happiness. And I feel this way, even about our, our people who suffer with obesity. I was one of them. I weighed 274 pounds for years. I was, a um, an insulin dependent diabetic and I have done every diet. I've been everything from a size two to a size 28. I can tell you, I was probably, when I look back, I think I was actually less happy at a two than I was at a 28. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. I totally agree. I was, I was like, and this is not a joke, but I was also very hungry. Like I just remember I was focused on how hungry I was like, mm -hmm. and it just, yeah, cold Kelly, my producer's in the cold. Yeah. Cold, hungry. And this is, probably TMI, but I had to do a colonoscopy, which is horrific prep. Just if anyone's ever had it, I'm so sorry, <laughs> but you can't eat. And I was sick right. the day before. So I didn't eat for like 72 hours. And I was, I was, I had a flashback to being anorexic and that misery of like just mm -hmm. being malnourished and thinking this is what was going to make me so happy and how right. misguided really my heart was and my thought was on that. So absolutely. We yep. could talk about this yes. for forever, but we have some specific questions about nocturnal eating. Okay. So Kelly, my producer was saying how she has, she literally sometimes will get out of bed to eat at night. And there was a research mm -hmm. study done about how this could actually be a hormone issue more than a mental issue. What do you know, if anything, about the hormone correlation, or do you think it is more of a mental thing? Um, well, that's really hard to say because if you look at if you look at food as medicine, right? The food that we put into our body is going to cause hormonal changes, and we don't talk enough about this. It's I think it's just starting to be talked about more and more and more and more. But we're literally changing our biology based on the food that we're eating. So whether or not it's an organic hormonal issue or created by the food that we're eating, that's a whole nother topic, right? But I definitely mm. think that it's an issue and where it's coming from, I don't know. And and it and the hormones definitely play a big part in, in a lot of this. We know that. Um, but I think from my research and my perspective that you can get that under control when you start to eat clean, which is also tricky, right? Because all of this is so tricky. So when you start to really whittle your diet down and eat clean, you can also end up with disordered eating. That's totally. why this is such, it's such a difficult area to, to, to manage, which is kind of why when I work with people, I, I educate, but I try not to focus too much on the food because it's just the same thing with any addiction. I work in addiction of all different kinds. And when we focus on a substance, we're actually doing the person a disservice because the substance is generally not the issue. The substance of choice, the substance use is generally a symptom of a larger issue. Mm. So we want to target the issue. We want to target the depression. We want to target the anxiety. We want to target the self-hatred and all the negative thoughts that are contributing to the use of substances. Because essentially, if we can reduce 
those symptoms and we can increase coping skills in other ways, you're going to need the substance of choice less. Could you give us a handful of ways and tools that we could actually implement, like you were saying, to reduce nocturnal eating? Mm -hmm. Because I think you kind of got to the root issue of it, depression or anxiety or stress. Right. So when you think about nighttime, now what happens at nighttime? The daytime, we're doing stuff. We're up. It's bright outside. Most of us are affected by light, right? So during the day, we're generally a little bit happier than we are at night. So you're going through your day and you're busy and you're doing stuff and it's bright out. And then all of a sudden it starts to get dark. Mood starts to come down a little bit. We're tired. Brings your mood down a little bit further. And you're usually more alone with your thoughts. Even if you have a partner or someone at home with you, it's generally more quiet at night than it is during the day. So you're sitting there alone with your thoughts and our thoughts can be our worst nightmare. That is when we do the most damage to ourselves. Now you got to ask yourself, what I always ask my clients is if you were hanging out with somebody that says the things to you that you say to yourself, would you continue being their friend? Probably not. The things we, we are our own worst enemy. We say the worst things to ourselves, much worse than anybody else ever could. I like verbally out loud the other night was like, you're such an idiot, like to myself. And I was thinking that same thing. Like if someone called me an idiot, I would like go Italian on them. Like, right. But Mm -hmm. I say it to myself all the time. Right. So at night, this is what's going on. The tools are a cognitive behavioral therapy. Basically it's to get control of your thoughts. So to work with somebody someone that knows CBT, that can teach you CBT, that can help you get a, get control of those negative thoughts so you can, you can bring them from that subconscious to the conscious. Now, that's the work that you need to do every day that's not going to be an immediate fix. The immediate fix that I like, the one that I usually teach people, is called urge surfing. And if you Google it, you can find it. There's all kinds of different ideas on it on the Internet. But basically what it means is, so if you're sitting there and you're thinking about, see, for me, it generally is something in the fridge. So if I have something in the fridge, I can't stop thinking about it. And the more I try to stop thinking about it, the more I think about it. If someone tells you not to think about something, that's all you're going to think about. It's impossible to stop thinking about something when you're trying not to. So what you have to do is kind of give into it. And it sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. And I don't mean give into it by getting up and going to the fridge. I mean giving into the urge. Mm, so you just totally. have to not let it make you anxious, right? You, normally what we do is like, I want it. I don't want it. You can't eat it, but I want it, but I want it, but I want it. No, you can't have it. Oh, you're such an idiot, right? This is what goes on in your head while you're doing it. So you got to kind of just give into it and just notice the thought. That's the first step. Like, okay, so I got Thanksgiving leftovers in the fridge. So what? I want it. Of course I do. It's okay. It's okay to want it. But you're not going to have it right now, right? Like we've talked about this a lot and just in school, it's like, of course you want it. There's an actual biological spike in dopamine. Like you just want to get a hit. Like essentially, of course Mm -hmm. you want a hit. Just want to feel better. You just want to feel better. And that whatever Girl Scout cookie pie is going to make you feel better. So yes, thanks (laughs) for the suggestion. And it it is biology because your brain has learned that when you don't feel good, a Girl Scout cookie creates the surge in dopamine that makes you feel better. It's short lived though, but your nervous system is not looking for long term. It's just looking for how to get you out of that pain in the moment, right? Pain is pain to your nervous system, whether it's physical or emotional, it doesn't matter. So when you're in pain, your brain's going to go back to what's worked in the past. We have to learn not to get stuck in that loop. It's the addiction loop. Mm -hmm. And we have to learn not to get stuck in it. So instead of letting it make us anxious 
and giving into it or fighting it or like sitting there, just notice it. First step, just notice it. It's just there. It's okay. And then what we need to do is really start to train ourselves to think of these urges like a wave. That's why it's called urge surfing. So the urge is going to come and you notice it and you see it just like you notice the wave and you see the wave. And just like with swimming, the wave comes. If you fight the wave, what happens? You drown. If you surf the wave, you have a much higher likelihood of making it through. So if we can learn to just sit back and notice the wave and ride the wave and know that it is going to come back down, it will. You are not going to have this urge. It's not going to be this strong for the next 24 hours. It is going to pass, and we have to have faith in that. So we have to sit in it. We have to ride it. We have to remind ourselves it's going to pass, and then we have to watch it go. I even like that visualization. I've heard that suggestion before. I've even given that suggestion to people I've coached. Like I always say, visualize the wave and you're on it. And I have, I was a surfer, a very bad one for a little while. And I always would like, if I miss the wave, I would paddle. I'm like, if you're not going to ride it, like just picture yourself paddling over the wave, like a little gentler. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like just go with it, just go with it, see Mm -hmm. where it goes, but don't give into it. Right. One of the things we have to do, because, you know, when we're, when we're in the middle of all of this, and we don't know when we're hungry. We have no idea the difference between hunger and emotional eating. And that's something that once you can learn to cue in, so when the urge comes, to be able to sit there and say, am I actually hungry? To stop yourself and try to say, because if your body's hungry, you should feed it. Probably not Girl Scout cookies and Thanksgiving leftovers, but... <laughs> Have an apple with a little bit of almond butter or, you know what I mean? Like something so you're not hungry. So we got to cue into that as well. That's a great litmus test. Kristen is like, think of a healthy snack. I give that one too. And if you want to go downstairs and eat that healthy snack, then you're probably hungry. If it doesn't appeal to you, like Kelly was saying, sweet potatoes, like, no, thanks. Mm -hmm. Then you're probably better staying in bed. Yep, exactly. And, but there's also some, uh, if you go on the internet, there's some meditations around urge surfing that can talk you through it when you're first starting. And I have a good one um, I can send to you, Lucia, that it, it really, it's like, I don't know, maybe eight or nine minutes. It helps you teach you how to do the urge surfing. It's a very calming woman's voice. And I've I've worked with some people that have found it very helpful. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Kristen's going to send it to us and we're going to post it on wellseekers.com. That would be amazing. I love that. The biggest thing to be able to do this is to start doing some cognitive work. It's the thoughts that are really sabotaging you. So we got to boil this down to what the actual root cause is. You want to treat the actual issue, not just the symptoms. So what we're talking about right now are symptoms. And there's a billion other ways. I mean, any kind of mindfulness activity is going to help you get through these urges, whatever works for you. A lot of my clients like to take hot showers, just something to get yourself outside of your head. Go for a walk if it's safe. You know, do some sit-ups. Anything that you do in your life that helps, do it. A lot of people like to drink hot tea. That's something that makes you feel like you're doing something for your hunger. You're eating something that doesn't have a high calorie load. So there's a billion of them. And that's another thing. If you Google mindfulness activities, I usually tell people just print them up and try them. Find the ones that work for you because different things are going to work for for different people. I love them. 
we have tips and tricks on wellseekers.com. It's the whole point to to make you more yeah. mindful, to break urges, to develop healthier coping skills, essentially. Mm-hmm. So mindfulness, mm-hmm. urge surfing. Yeah checking in and seeing if you're really hungry and then going a little bit deeper and doing some work in what's referred to as CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which I can say personally and professionally, personally, that's what helped me with my eating disorder. And professionally, I just know it works. So if you, if you think you have a deeper issue, we encourage you to seek out support and an an extra Mm -hmm. deep level with that. And it's the only addiction that you can't just stop. You can't just like, you can, you can just stop drinking. You can do your best to avoid it in everyday life. You cannot do that with food. And it's, so it makes it even more challenging to stop. What about just not having those foods in your house? Is that, that's a biggie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, if you, the things that trigger you, you shouldn't have around. Now the problem is at least personally, I'll speak from personal experience is that I always find a reason to trick myself into purchasing fruity pebbles for my son, even though I know I'm buying them for me because he doesn't even really like them. This is what we do. We, I have to have this around for guests and we got to call ourselves that we got to be honest with ourselves. So now I've chosen, I've made a conscious decision to choose if I'm doing that, that I have to be honest with myself. So at least say to myself, no, you're buying this for you, right? Because that's the first step to any kind of recovery, whether you're talking substance abuse or eating issues or whatever kind of recovery we're talking about is honesty, being honest with yourself. So tell yourself what you're doing. Make yourself, hold yourself accountable for it. And also remind yourself it's not actually the end of the world. If you have one night where you eat poorly, this is what we do. We get on that roller coaster where we have one night that we eat poorly and then we hate ourselves so much that we punish ourselves with food again the next day and it becomes a cat chasing its tail. So, yeah. So reminding ourselves of the reality of this is that if you go home and you binge on sweet potatoes, that's really not a big deal in the grand scheme of life. Right. <laughs> like, like why do we, why do we hate ourselves and feel like we're bad people because we ate too many sweet potatoes? When you look at it rationally, it makes no sense. So we got to take the power out of that food too, because we're giving it way too much power. We're giving our whole basis of self-worth, like we're putting that on a food. And we're putting it on our weight. And we're putting it on our weight weight because there is really what you're not hating is that you ate. What you're hating is that you think you're going to gain weight and then be unworthy because of your extra weight Mm -hmm. gain. And the words that we give these things is how we can tell we're doing it, right? I ate bad last night. There's no such thing. There's such a thing as, like, food isn't bad. It's not bad or good. It's food. There's healthier and unhealthier food, but it's not bad. I was so bad last night, right? I mean, how many times in your life have you said that? I won't say that anymore. Mm. I didn't make good food choices last night. We got to let it go. We can't get caught up in it because that's, that's the emotional piece that keeps us on this, this hamster wheel. I think that's the perfect place to end it. Kristen Young, thanks so much for being with us. If you want more, I'm going to try to coerce Kristen into being one of our experts here at Wellseekers. So um, hopefully you'll hear more of her and um, read more from her. Thank you so much for your time, Kristen. No problem. Thanks, guys. We want you to join the conversation. Email us at hello at wellseekers.com. Welcome back to Wellseekers as we wrap up another great show here. Kristen Young is just awesome. I could listen to her talk probably all day long, especially about that topic. And I know we recapped them, but I feel like it really helps 
practical advice. We're going to link the video that she talked about, about urge surfing. So make sure you check out that video. I'll make sure it links to this video somehow um, on wellseekers.com. And then also checking in if you're really hungry. If you want to eat a cake, but you don't want to eat an apple, you're probably not. It's probably not worth getting out of bed for is what I got. But then that's the other thing that I think Kristen left us with is that if you do get out of bed, maybe it is worth, maybe you make that choice, but be honest with yourself. And I found that that was huge in my eating disorder recovery. If I'm buying a box of crackers and I'm probably going to eat the whole box, at least I'm being honest about the fact that I'm buying them and I'm going to eat them. And that's goes to what she said with that CBT and which is cognitive therapy, like changing the thoughts that we have around it. That's what is important. It's not the actual what we're eating and what we're not eating. It's the thoughts around that. If you're having trouble with any night eating disorder, binge eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, we really, everyone here at Well Seekers really encourages you to get help, professional help, reach out to a therapist, reach out to your doctor, reach out to someone in your life because being consumed by food is no fun. I know Kel and I were laughing about it a little bit because sometimes it is easier to joke about it, but having food as an addiction in any capacity, I know it destroyed my life. And um, I know on the other side of that is hope and happiness and fulfillment. And that's there for you too. So hopefully you've gotten a little bit of hope, happiness and fulfillment. If you guys have any topics or anything you want to hear us talk about, make sure to email us at hello at wellseekers.com. It's such an honor and a privilege to be able to talk to you guys and for you to let us in. Hopefully you've taken away some simple and accessible things that you can apply back into your own life from all of us here at Well Seekers and to everyone out there that's part of our seekerhood. We hope you have an incredible day. Talk to you soon. You're never alone. Join the seekerhood now wellseekers.com.